This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash JavaScript Jabber. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hello from Nashville. Corey House. Hello from Kansas City. Joe Eames. Hello from wherever I am. (laughs) I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week we have a special guest. We have Azat. Mardan. I think I said that something close to right. <laughs> yeah, you, you got it. You got it. As it Mardan. Hello, everyone. Now, do you want to give a brief explanation who you are, what you do? I think we've had you on the show before, but it's been a while. Yeah, it did. Hello, everyone. So my name is Azad Mardan. And yeah, I think that was episode 230. Uh, so very, very short uh, story about myself. I'm an author and um, writer. I wrote 14 books on JavaScript and Node.js. The latest one is called React uh, React Quickly, and it's a book on React.js. I worked at uh, Capital One in the Technology Fellows uh, team. And uh, also, I, I created Node University, where I publish online courses, because I just like teaching and helping people to get started with JavaScript and Node.js. I taught at um, conferences at big companies, um, so that's what I do. And of course, from my books and my blog posts. Awesome. Now you got a hold of me and said that you wanted to come on and talk about the changes in React and in the license. And this is something that I've been wanting to talk about on the show for a while. So I thought it'd just be interesting to to jump right in and uh, start talking about it. I think one of the big things that was big news a while back, probably end of September, beginning of October, was the the licensing with React. And um, Facebook for a while had a clause in there saying basically that if you were in a lawsuit with them over intellectual property, that they would essentially revoke your React license. And that came to a head. People were, you know, signing petitions and all kinds of stuff. And so they changed it. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely correct. So you basically you basically said the most important thing that people should know. <laughs> but of of course we can dive a little bit more into the what exactly happened. And it's very important because if you are a company, a small startup or a big company, and um, you are using a wrong version uh, which had that licensing, uh, that basically could could mean a lot of legal issues. So just a very brief, like two-minute um, timeline. So July, July 15 of this year, 2017, probably your listeners will be listening in 2018, but July 15, 2017, the Apache Foundation bans um, React. And if some 
I haven't heard about the Apache Foundation. It's one of the first uh, open source foundations. And Jim Zagensky, the founder of Apache Foundation, he works in my team at Capital One in the Technology Fellows. So immediately at Capital One and other companies, people, they start noticing it if they haven't heard about it already. So the license that React had at that time in the summer, it's called BSD, which is good. BSD, it's a good license, and Apache generally is okay with that license. But React added a special clause, which basically says, just like you said, if if you are if you want to use a React, that's fine. But if you want to use React and to Facebook for some of for whatever reason, maybe it's not even related to React or front-end development, then that's it. They will take your React license, and you can imagine if a company has a large application built on React, that's a big, big investment. It's not that easy to switch overnight to a different library. So big companies, not many people know, but big companies such as Apple, Google, and Facebook, uh, they're constantly in the patent wars. So they have those treasure chests of patents, and oftentimes they infringe on other patents. For example, Amazon, it has this seemingly uh, simple and very easy patent, which says, uh, we have a one-click purchase. So it's basically a button, you click, and uh, that makes a purchase. And it's, it's, a, it's a very simple patent, but people have to either pay company to uh, pay money to Amazon to use that functionality, or they need some patent that Amazon wants, and then they would trade those patents, sort of. So the more patents a company has, the better, the more other patents uh, that company can use from big companies. So that's why it's good for Facebook, because basically Facebook can say, we want to develop React faster, and we allow it for you to use, uh, but if you sue us, sorry, we're going to take it away. At least that's what they're reasoning, and they explained it in the blog post. Of course, that didn't well, that didn't go well at all with the community. Developers, they don't want to hear anything about patents, right? Uh, they don't want to get into this legal discovery, into um, any complications, basically, right? And also, we have two alternatives. We have Peer React and Inferno with a very similar interface. So, so it's not like React is the only choice. Um, Wait, and hold on. What were those two alternatives again? Uh, one is Peer React. So it's just the letter P, like Peter, Peer React. Yeah, I've also and heard it how, said. Is that how they pronounce it? P React? I've, I've heard it pronounced Preact. Preact or Peer React, yeah. Okay, okay. And then the other one was what? Inferno. Inferno. I've never actually yeah. heard of this one. Like a, like, so a, like a hell. Yeah, Inferno. <laughs> oh, good marketing for it. <laughs> the nine uh, circles of wow. React. Got it. <laughs> marketing is important in front end. It's all about hype, right? Yeah. Will somebody <laughs> please Photoshop a picture of Corey with horns? <laughs> there we go. Can you really quickly, I, I know Preact, but can you, for people who maybe aren't familiar to, explain the difference between those other two, Inferno and Preact? Their, like, their key differentiation is that they're lighter and smaller. Yeah. And some of them, they, they claim they're faster as well than, than regular React. 
Well, actually, what is the difference between Inferno and Bract? I'm actually not sure I know this. Uh, not- I, I don't think I don't think even the core developers of Inferno and React know <laughs> <laughs> what are those differences. I'm serious. Like if if you go to their website, one is lightweight, another is just a different wording. But basically, they go for the same goal to be smaller and faster and better than React. Maybe there are some differences. I think it depends on particular business case what applications uh, people have, and they can test do some benchmarking. And in size, it's really just a difference of uh, 3K versus 9K, the former being Preact and the latter being Inferno. Oh, I remember one difference is that, uh, I forgot which one, but it allows class because uh, people okay. who work with React, we have to use class name, right? And we have to use for HTML. So one of those libraries, they would allow you to just use class, which is kind of nice because you can then just copy-paste your some old HTML, legacy template, maybe handlebars, and quickly modify it. And um, you can link your class and for attributes, and they will become props. So the benefit of both of them, they're more or less dropping replacement for React. So on August 18... Hey, yeah. Azad, have you used either of those two in any serious manner? Only in prototypes. So How about when, you, Corey? No, I haven't either. There's been a lot of conversation around it, but I mean, the fact is uh, React, um, the latest version of React is already 35K. So you're talking about if I moved to Preact, then I would go down to 3K. So yeah, I'm saving around 30K and potentially getting slightly better performance. I just don't know that it's actually worth it. Yeah, but so if you sorry, were concerned you with the license up until React, what, 16? you might wind up using that anyway, just so you can... Okay, can we turn this entire episode into a talk about licenses and patents and patent wars? Because that would be so awesome. (laughs) I've been trying to line up an attorney to talk about that bit. I actually have a question, like, this might be a good time to talk about it, because all of this happened um, currently where I'm at. We were having discussions about, um, we're rewriting some of our application and um, if we wanted to go the view or React route, or and then we started talking about Preact and that kind of thing. So at Capital One, um, what did you guys do when this happened? So basically, yes, Apache Foundation banned it. Uh, Jim Zaganski, founder of Apache Foundation, he's deeply embedded in Capital One and the open source. Uh, so at some point, Capital One banned all those BSD plus patent licenses in all our projects for React. Right, so the only way is to use Pure React to Inferno or React version 16, and not just Capital One. So WordPress followed the same suit. WordPress powers pretty much like most of the web, right? And um, I'll put a link said, to the post that they put out in the show notes because I think people will be interested in that. Shouldn't we yeah. also have like a really quick clarification that like it, it wasn't all of WordPress doesn't use it; it's just their editor, right? They they had some other project that they were going to put it into. And then on September 25, so uh, I, I think I think Facebook did a decent job listening to community. So if, if we look at the history, June 15, September uh, 25, so that's, that's not that big of a time, right? So they announced that they are switching to MIT license. And MIT uh, license, it's considered um, very permissive it's considered a good license by developers so that sort of fueled back the hype to react because people were starting to forget react right so 
we have this bad news, then we have React 16, so we have a good news. So companies now, they, they relax. Okay, now we can use React only if it's version 16. So all in all, this the whole fiasco of licensing it ended up being a good story for React and uh, it kind of um, increased the hype for React again. Because as you know, in the world of JavaScript, everything changes fast, right? So React's been a while uh, been around for a while, so people start forgetting about it. But now there's a new, new kind of like energy behind using it. And also React 16. Uh, some of you mentioned that uh, Pure React was faster, but now the size um, of of the regular React is not that big as well. So what they did in the recent version of React, they rewrote their internal um, engine. So that was a big change. So for developers, nothing changed in terms of how we use it. But under the hood, that was a big, good change that they did. Okay. So uh, I got a few questions for you. I've had a, these are similar conversations I've already had with Corey. I was asking him about it. But uh, so what do you think? Uh, do you think that the whole BSD plus patents was really that big of an issue for you know, the vast majority of developers? Or is this something that really only played out amongst like a very small number of companies? And then that's all that it really mattered to. And that, is this a question for me? Yeah. Yeah, that's for you. So, uh, yes, 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 absolutely. It's a very huge issue, but mostly for medium-sized and big companies. Because the bigger the company, the bigger the target is, right? Mm-hmm. If you are... Facebook, if you're Google, you have billions of dollars, and then that you're a target basically for uh, other companies to sue you. And um, if you have some other patents that they want, they will sue you just to get the free usage of those patents, right? Because that's, it's like an exchange, basically. Oh, you have something that we want, like that one click button that Amazon has? Well, we're going to sue you for, let's say, use, use of React or something else. So, the bigger you are, the more of the danger is. So just another kind of a side note. I was talking with people at Uber. We have a similar issue um, with the open sourcing of libraries at Capital One as well. So it's very costly to open source the library. So big companies, they're not going to even bother with open sourcing a small library. If, if I'm a, just a startup developer, when I worked at Storify, we would open source pretty much everything, right? And a lot of companies, they do that. The small companies, smart uh, startups. But if you're a big company, a lot of people can sue you. So the cost of just going through the trademark searches and legal work, it could be dozens of thousands of dollars. So mostly they only open source big libraries. So if you start up like 10 people, probably you would be even happy with that BSD+. plus. Uh, with BSD applies the patent clause because that kind of embraces the trust. That's what Elon Musk says, basically. Um, Elon Musk and Tesla, by the way, they they kind of did similar thing, but um, it was perceived a little bit better. Maybe they did a better marketing and explaining. So what Tesla um, did with their patents, basically they said, uh, use, use whatever you want, but then don't use it against us, right? And... Uh, it's actually a good thing if you think about it, because in the software patents, so let's step back a little bit, like 200 years um, back. 
in history. So patents, they were designed to protect inventors because some businesses, they were taking advantage of inventors. So they, so inventors, they would spend time, invent something like Benjamin Franklin, right? They invent a light bulb. Um, well, he was a good businessman, but um, oh, I think Thomas Edison. Yeah, Thomas Edison, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Ben, ben Franklin, he was a, a good inventor as well. <laughs> uh, so it was to protect those inventors. So And they would retain like very long rights for a very long time, for like 70 years or something like that. And for some categories, it's less than that. And that made total sense. And that actually helped the innovation because then inventors, they could use those royalties and keep inventing without having to go and find a job, right? And um, But now in software, first of all, things change so fast. So 70 years, it just like doesn't make sense. Even like five years or 10 years doesn't make sense. And then it actually prevents the innovation like that one click button, right? It's a great invention which helps, which would help all the consumers, but why other websites cannot use it, right? So, so in the software, there's a lot of movement that actually they don't like, people don't like to have deal with patents. So, if all companies decide, like, okay, we're gonna drop the patents, we're not gonna sue anyone, we're gonna, we're not gonna um, apply for new patents. That would be very, very good. But if you have just one company which will still try to use it as a weapon and as a leverage, then the whole game will be basically skewed in favor of that one company which still does the patent things. Well, I, I don't know. I, I almost became a patent attorney. And the way that I see it is that if you invent something, then you should be able to benefit from it. And, you know, the the idea is even with these companies, you know, the, the one-click purchase button, it gives them an advantage because they're, it, it's easier for people to buy things on Amazon than it is for them to buy it on other systems, you know, other shopping systems. And so the fact that they have that advantage for 20 years is basically the the length of time you can have a patent. Um, is to their advantage, and that's fine. Um, the the flip side of that is is that after the twenty years, then everybody benefits. And so, what patents do is they allow companies to disclose their inventions and still maintain a competitive advantage for twenty years. And so, it, it's a good thing overall. Um, you know, the problem that I see with the whole system is that some companies, as 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 I mentioned are using these patents as weapons instead of, um, you know, taking it, you know, and they have the right to protect their invention, but at the same time, yeah, a lot of these, they use them to just, uh, you know, bludgeon their competition and in some cases put them out of business, even though they didn't infringe the patent, they just didn't have the money to fight the patent suit. And so there, there, there's some give and take in the system that, you know, that occurs. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, absolutely. It's not it's not all black and white. And yeah, yeah. It's good that you are advocating the the opposite side. Yeah. Uh, there's absolutely some benefits, uh, and there's some abuse, like patent squatting, right? So people just apply for patents, and then uh, they don't do anything with that, right? Just yeah, just and that doesn't to, help anybody. Yeah, it's just like prevents everything. Well, yeah. but I don't think we're right. going to invent no, again, a perfect system. So. No, but there's also a huge problem that the patent system awards patents for ridiculous stuff, right? Right. Like completely obvious things. Like, I mean, I know that you say that one click is something that, hey, 
these guys, uh, they thought up the idea of one click. Well, I mean, come on, it only takes a few minutes for somebody to think <laughs> that up. That's not a that's not yeah. a patentable thing. It wasn't like Thomas Edison inventing the light bulb. It was like somebody said, well, I don't know, let's just make make it take one click. And I guess the first person who has that one thing and then rushes off to patent it, now all of a sudden they've uh, destroyed a whole bunch of ability. I, I was at a company that got sued for using a drop-down menu. Oh, wow. There was a company that had found and gotten the patent for something that was close enough to a drop-down menu on the web that, again, they couldn't find it. And these, these were patent squatters. But imagine that Amazon had found and filed for the patent for drop-down menus, right? So now nobody can use a drop-down menu. Hey, Corey, yeah. so let me ask you this question. How much, so let's say I'm a regular guy, just a regular developer, how much would it cost for me to just file a patent, right? Maybe I hire someone. Questions for Chuck, right? Chuck was the one who was talking about having almost been a patent attorney. Oh, sorry. Yeah, but it, yeah, it's it's not cheap. I mean, um, if you invent Probably something like and you want to file it yourself and you write the patent yourself, um, you know, and not go through a patent agent or a patent attorney, it'll still cost you, um, I think it's like a thousand dollars or something. Um, but usually you want to go through a patent attorney or a patent agent because yeah. they will close a whole bunch of loopholes for you so that you can, uh, make your patent cover so as much as possible. And therefore you can keep people, uh, from getting close to your invention. Yeah. So I was told it's roughly like $10,000 right. to $20,000. So, so, and then that's what that, it costs if you hire a professional to help yeah, you. Yeah. 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 And that basically, my understanding is that that raises the bars on regular people and that leaves only like rich companies be able to do that for a lot of like things, just, just like blanket submitting those patents to have that treasure chest. And then the startups what they end up doing, they're not submitting patents unless they have the funding. Mm -hmm. And then the company comes, they have money, they submit the patent, and then it's like, oh, it's a startup. We have a similar patent. We're going to sue them. And we will offer to buy that startup for cheap because we have this uh, lawsuit against them. Right. But but what we're getting into here is the, the ethics and morals that go behind, um, you know, suing companies and things like that. And, and whether or not they, you know, because a lot of these suits are not legitimate, but again, it's a startup company. They don't have a ton of funding. And so, you know, these larger companies can essentially bury them in paperwork and it doesn't matter if their case actually has any merit. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. But uh, the thing that's really interesting to me as far as React goes was the fact that if you got into one of these battles with Facebook they would revoke your React license and then they could countersue you essentially for using React without licensing it. And so it basically created a, a loophole for them to come after you if you sued them or if they decided to come after you for something else. Again, you know, they could, you know. So, so anyway, there was no incentive for you to enforce your patent against Facebook if you were using React heavily. And... I think somebody asked, you know, well, you know, does this affect the medium companies, the smaller companies? I, I talked to a whole bunch of different people and some folks in medium companies that I talked to, they were like, you know, we're not that worried about it. You know, we, we don't really do anything that's even close to what Facebook does. We don't think we're going to have any patent issues with them. And so we don't care. And I talked to people in smaller companies that basically said, 
We don't know what our growth trajectory is. We don't know if we're going to wind up, you know, in that space someday and we don't want to worry about it. And so they opted for something else. So I, I think there were a lot of people in a lot of situations that were just saying no. And some people wouldn't use React just on the principle that they had that clause in there. Yeah, some people thought that Facebook was being very anti-open source. Mm -hmm. Or anti-competitive. So, yeah, or anti-competitive. Uh, so, uh, Azad, I got a qu another question for you. What do you think of the BSD and patents license? Do you think that it was... A good thing or a bad thing, you know, one for Facebook and two for just society as a whole. What's what's your take on it? I think they, they wanted to do the right thing to make it more of a just a trust thing that, hey, if if you're not going to sue us, we're not going to sue you, et cetera, right? Which is uh, probably the right step towards like not having patents at all, at least for the software. And that will help the innovation at least according to some people, and I'm leaning toward that direction. But then, yeah, the whole thing that turned out the disaster, it's a, it was a PR disaster, it was a huge backslash, and it ended up terribly for Facebook. And for they're, they're, they're very open, they're very active in open source. And just having this fiasco, it was, <laughs> it was spectacular and uh, very sad, and it's very bad. But they fixed it, so... So now it's MIT. All right. So yeah, I um, just I just also want to just add here, as far as whether or not they license it one way or another, um, they wrote the software, and the default for software is copyright. So if you if if they wrote React and they did, then they own the copyright to the code, and they own the copyright to the API. I mean, it's been uh, shown in court that you can copyright the API, which means. Technically, they could have gone after Inferno and Preact and said, "Sorry, guys, uh, you're out of luck because we we you know we don't want you copying the React API." And they didn't do any of those things. So the fact that they listened, they didn't have to, and the fact that they changed their license again, they didn't have to, and people would have just had to figure out whether or not that was a an issue for them. And so, as as much as you know, people are saying one way or the other you know, uh, Facebook should have done the right thing. I mean, in principle, they were well within their rights and the right thing was whatever they deemed it to be, in my opinion. So, um, you know, the fact that they listened to people and said, okay, um, this is something that people are concerned about. We're, we're going to go ahead and, you know, we're going to play ball with the open source community. I think, I think they did a very, very good thing there, but they were under no, obli no obligation whatsoever to do that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, probably. Uh, that that's right. I think that's interesting how the so social media, hacker news, Reddit, and uh, Twitter, how that basically drives the developers and community to uh, to share their feedback, right? And that basically helped the Facebook and. Um, to change that decision, right? Because they were listening. I don't think five or 10 years that would have been possible. People could have sent emails, but that's more or less it, right? Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting is they went all the way to MIT, which basically says you can use this however you want, wherever you want. Yeah, so that's another question is when they changed, do you feel like it was just a, a marketing move or was Facebook really doing what is its core values? 
I, I think Facebook does a lot of things um, you know, for, for the marketing. They get a lot of benefit from maintaining React, Flow, and other related libraries. Because if you think about it, they don't need to train software engineers. A lot of people already use React, so they, they can pretty much uh, hire right off the bat. People already know. And um, they get also contributors contributing back to their projects, so that's good. A lot of people are using testing. So there is a lot of benefit of having um, such a successful and popular open source project. A lot of benefit for the company. Mm -hmm. An interesting fact that a lot of the current contributors to React, they, they're hired by Facebook, right? So someone contributes to React and then they end up working for Facebook later. So that's, <laughs> that's an interesting strategy that Facebook uses. Um, well, it seems to... like a fairly small benefit, right? Because, I mean, how many React developers is Facebook actually going to hire, right? So how big of a deal is it that they have a lot of people using React? For you, the listeners of JavaScript Jabber, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Well, and it's not just the use. It's also the matter of... Uh... I mean, you go out to GitHub and you'll see there's over a thousand contributors to React. So they've gotten a massive amount of uh, free work out of people there. And also, you know, a lot of bugs found that may not have ever been reported on Facebook.com, but probably existed at some point that other people have found on their own applications consuming mm -hmm. React. Um, and then I, I know a number of people that I respect in the uh, React community who have had Facebook reach out to them and offer them jobs. Um, what you find is, you know, Facebook, like a lot of Silicon Valley companies, requires you to move to San Francisco. So, or at least to one of their offices in London or wherever it may be. So, you know, like like me, I'd love to be on the React team, but <laughs> when I talk to them, no, I'm, I'm not moving uh, from where I am. So uh, it, it becomes harder to find really good developers that are also willing to relocate. Right. So they've They've found a big pool of vocal fans, and then they can pick from those and find the few that are willing to actually move there. Yeah, and probably they are also uh, getting the top of the cream because mm -hmm. uh, it's it's uh, one of the top tech companies, so they have good brand in terms of being a tech company, and then they have this hype of React and the benefit of using React and being and owning that library. So I, th um, I think they're in a really nice place in terms of um, benefiting. Because if you think about it, the core team that supports React that Facebook employs, it's not that big, maybe it's five people, I might be wrong, 
but it looks like the most active people as it's just a handful of people. So they pay salaries to them, and um, it, I think it's uh, they they get a good return on investment. Well, I don't know. I think their hiring <laughs> practices are pretty questionable since they didn't hire me. <laughs> what, what, what did you ask you those uh, silly questions uh algorithm questions and oh yeah yeah uh, I hate them. I hate they those. asked well they actually they asked me to implement basically um instagram in html in the interview in, that was in, their algorithm in, question in 30 in 30 minutes on the whiteboard well, <laughs> yeah yeah i mean just like the layout algorithm for the pictures and stuff yeah. so it was a pretty accomplishable task yeah, don't don't get me even started. The interview process in Silicon Valley, uh, San Francisco, is so broken, <laughs> so outdated. Yeah, um, yeah. I I wanted to ask something else about the license. They changed the license on Flow, Jest, uh, Immutable, I think, and React. But if you look at the license for React Native, it still has the patent clause in it. So, do you think they should change it across the board? Yes, I would expect for for them to to update it to on React Native as well. I'd be super curious why that wasn't changed yet. Yeah, I actually didn't know it didn't change. I know about the other four. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's interesting. You know, it took all the heat off, and then I haven't heard anything about React Native after that. So uh, we've talked a whole bunch about the patents. We've got about 45 minutes talking about the patents. Um, you mentioned the the payload size on the library. Are there other changes in React, other API changes, or other things that, that people are going to be excited or care about in React over the last little while? Yeah, so uh, reduce file size. So the, the libraries became smaller, then server-side rendering. So completely rewritten server-side renderer, it's now faster. Of course, I assume it depends on what actually people are doing in their renders. Um, but at least that's the big change. Mm -hmm. A faster server-side rendering. And um, server-side rendering, if people don't use it, that's that's a good thing to have, especially if they need SEO, if they need those um, search crawlers to go and get the static HTML. And then there is also error handling. So now there is uh, error handling. It's a um, new feature that could be implemented in React applications. Mm -hmm. Fiber. Have you heard about Fiber? Have any of you heard about Fiber? Yeah, I've Definitely heard, definitely heard about it, but uh, maybe you could give sort of a brief introduction to it. Yeah, so like the very brief explanation, it's the new core architecture. So again, for developers from the outside, it's more or less the same, but inside, it's a new way how how React works. And of course, the benef the benefit is it's better, it's faster, and Etc. 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 Cool. Yeah. So, an interesting observation. I just spoke at a Holy JS conference uh, in Moscow, and there was in, in two days of the conference. I think there was just one talk on React. And before, it's like every time you go to a front end conference, there's 
almost like 50 or 60% talks on React, maybe 40% on Angular or 30% on Angular. So I don't know what is, what is happening. Maybe React did such a great job then basically there's not that many problems to solve in the front end anymore. Because I remember when I started doing front end, there was jQuery, there was vanilla JavaScript, then jQuery. Uh Then we had Backbone, those MVC, uh, such as Spine.js, then Ember and Angular, and then finally React. And I almost gave up on the front end development before I discovered React because it was pretty complex and messy, a lot of moving parts, moving things. So React really made it simple, simpler for me and also other developers liked it for that. I think it really changed how we do front-end development. And even Angular borrowed a lot of concepts from React. Component-based architecture, one-way binding, virtual DOM, etc. So maybe we are getting to the point where front-end development becomes more and more mature and there's just not that many problems to solve. So maybe um, the, 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 there's no such a big breakthrough, at least nothing yet on the horizon in terms of new libraries and new ways of coding. And maybe there would be none. Maybe we'll just continue using some version of React or React-like library. Vue is promising, but Vue is more like Angular. So it's more for developers who switch from Angular. They like Vue. Elm sounds promising as well. It's very functional. But how much um, mainstream it will go, we don't know. But something something to keep an eye on. Have, have any of you remember that curve where you have, uh, uh, it has seven stages. So you have early adopters. It's called adoption curve, if I remember correctly. So you have early adopters, late adopters, mainstream, then you have late mainstream and laggers, something like that. Yeah, so, um, and each technology, it goes through those cycles. So it, it in the early days, it's uh, very experimental, it's flaky, there are a lot of alternatives, but then it becomes more and more mature. And basically, it's a solved problem. So there's almost no innovation. People just know what libraries to pick, what best practices to use, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe, maybe we're finally reaching. I would be happy if, if, the, if the front end is a solved problem. I would be very happy about that. Uh, we can just move on to the next things, whatever they might be. Artificial intelligence, um, doing more things in the cloud. I, I think the, the interesting thing is, is that we've seen a lot of areas of growth within you know what we can accomplish in the browser. So, you know, we've, we've gotten to the point now where we build basically single page apps in JavaScript in the browser. And we can make those apps do all kinds of stuff all the way up to augmented and virtual reality. Um, I think the thing that's interesting is, is that now with things like web workers and, um, you know, the kinds of access we allow to our machine through the browser, you know, we're seeing things like um, Bitcoin miners basically running from the browser, right? So people go to a specific website um, and it runs JavaScript that executes a Bitcoin miner. And so I I don't know that we're ever going to get beyond the capacity of what the web is capable of. The other thing is, is you have things like web Bluetooth, 
and and other you know standards that are coming out. So as far as interface goes, yeah, maybe we settle on you know Angular, React, Vue, things like that that have component architecture that work across the UI. But I don't know that we're ever going to just completely settle on a technology because I think we're going to continue to innovate both in what JavaScript's capable of as well as what the browser's capable of. And we're always going to be reaching for that next thing that we can do. So, you know, maybe another uh, application of this is some kind of decentralized machine learning that we run in the browser or something like that, where then the results are sent back or worked through or however that works. Um, you know, maybe it gets to the point where I don't have to have the IoT within Bluetooth range in order to affect it from my phone or my computer. And so, um, you know, how does that change the things that we lean on React or Angular or Vue to do? And, you know, are we going to, you know, I, I think we'll probably wind up moving beyond it in some ways. Um, it just, it, it'll be interesting to see where we go. And then the other thing is, is that, you know, we have all these uses for um, the different data processing and visualization and stuff like that. And people are constantly uh, looking for ways to reduce the amount of bandwidth we take up or the amount of performance we can get from our apps. And so, you know, maybe React is fast enough for most people, but, you know, maybe we get to some applications that just require that next level, you know, be it smaller payloads over cellular networks that are unreliable. Or, you know, maybe we get to space travel and so we can only beam small amounts of data up there or things like that. So I, I don't know. I, I think I think it solves the problems we have today, but I think we're going to invent new problems for our frameworks to solve in the future. I know also we're, you know, a JavaScript podcast, but I also think with um, Houdini, the people that are working together to expose um the API so you can access the rendering engine for your CSS. I think you're going to see a lot of stuff happening there in the future. And obviously like you can, you're going to be able to write JavaScript to do that. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff yeah. in that direction too. And that's excited really exciting it. as well. Yeah. I've heard about those uh, bit, bit, uh, Bitcoin mining uh, scripts. Uh, sometimes unintentionally people don't even know they have a web worker working and mining mm -hmm. uh and yeah you 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 were speaking about some of the like future problems for us to solve uh, of course yeah absolutely people are would never run out of problems would always come up with things to, uh, to challenge themselves and um may, maybe web assembly maybe we mm -hmm. need something lower level uh to get to that next level of more power and more control and more complex, interesting applications. Uh, but then probably, probably we would need another abstraction on top of the WebAssembly because uh, we, as developers, we just like higher-level frameworks and languages. So maybe, maybe my analogy would be like. Uh, HTML, it's pretty much like HTML4 and HTML5. They had new tags, but more or less it was the same, right? So for me, when I look at React uh, three years ago and React now, and how web development changed and how React is almost a default choice until uh, this licensing fiasco, it was the default choice for a new project. 
in most of the companies, not all not all of them, some of them were considering Ember or Angular, but in most of the projects. So for me, it's almost like, well, yeah, it's like you use HTML. It's um, everyone knows, everyone supports it, right? So um, it's it's not perfect, but it's declarative. It does its job. Mm-hmm. So this this what I was thinking about React, but maybe I'm wrong. So it's going to be interesting to see what will happen. Yep. Yeah, the other the other angle on that too is that um you know, we've we've been on the component architecture now for for a while, you know, with Angular View and React, which are pretty much all of the incumbents. Um but I I never count out that somebody's going to come up with something that's even easier to put together or, you know, better to use or, you know, some innovation in uh ECMAScript standard is going to open up some possibility somewhere as well. So it you know, I'm pretty happy with the state of the art right now, but it's always interesting to see where people will take it from here. Right. One one thing, yeah, I agree totally. Uh, it's a really good state. One thing that is still lacks improvement, it's the, the tool chain. Mm-hmm. How people need to assemble Webpack, Babel, ECMAScript presets, uh, all of that is very, very complex. Yeah. Yes, create React Native app or create React app. It's a good tool, but what does it do? Uh, it's magic, right? So sooner or later you eject it. You need to modify it, customize it. So lots of love, lots of moving parts. Yep. Awesome. And Chuck, Chuck, on that note, you should consider having the people that made Parcel come on the show. That just came out a few weeks ago. I'm pretty impressed with it. In my uh, initial review. Nice. We'll uh, we'll see if we can line that up. Is there anything else we should uh, jump on before we go to picks? So we haven't, like, if we want to finish with licensing, we haven't talked about some GPL licensing, for example, right? Where they have like the free version, but mm-hmm. for community, but then they um, they have the enterprise which is paid. So I yeah. don't know if some of the listeners would benefit from that or we can just go do picks. I know a few companies that do that. Um, since this isn't really where react went, we should probably just have a licensing attorney come on and talk through the different licenses and kind of hit it that way. I think. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, let's, let's go ahead and do picks then. Do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com devchat and enter dev chat in the how did you hear about us section. 
Corey, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure thing. I have uh, two picks. Um, my first one is a post by uh, Axel Rauschmeyer, Mr. JavaScript himself, who uh, posted a interesting way of thinking about the this keyword in JavaScript, which, uh, if you're like most JavaScript developers, is probably the part that you found most confusing. Uh, but he had an interesting way of turning it on its head and thinking about arrow functions as the normal function and as um, the traditional functions as actually uh, really ways of uh, calling functions in a method scope. So this way of turning it on its head I thought was very interesting. It's not intuitive at first since arrow functions are a more recent uh, add to JavaScript, but it's worth a good read, so I'll share that in the show notes. Um, the other one, uh, I'm sure we've talked about it on the show at some point, but I can't remember it. But if you haven't used Prettier with JavaScript, you're missing out. Prettier is awesome. I've been using it on uh, our team for about a month, and uh, we really like it. No more worrying about formatting. No more uh, worrying about uh, manually changing things like ESLint would tell you what to do. You just hit save. Uh, there's a really nice uh, way to plug it into VS Code. that, uh, uh, And in that way, every time you hit save, your code is instantly formatted. And looks beautiful. So those are my picks. Awesome. Amy, what are your picks? Let's see. So I have two. And the first one is, um, it's called, it's just devtees.com. I think it links you out to Amazon. But um, I have a shirt that I wear for the CSS talk I've been giving. <laughs> and if other people want to buy it, because it's absolutely hilarious. It's like the little guy who like does the table flip, but he's flipping CSS. Mm. Um, so <laughs> uh, I love that t-shirt. Um, and then... I have a lot of really good stuff, but I don't want to spill it all at once. So I'm going to have to pick something here. Um, I think I saw this on Hacker News a couple of days ago, but uh, it is a really good question on uh, Stack Exchange about doing estimates. And, um, you know, I think a lot of us are always asked for estimates. And uh, as somebody who did like some project management type stuff in the past. Uh, I didn't really understand what developers, you know, were trying to do when they gave estimates. So now that I'm on the other side, um, it, you know, I find it difficult. And so there are a lot of good points here to keep in mind. So I'll post a link to that conversation in the show notes. And that's it for me. Awesome. Joe, what are your picks? All right, so uh, I got two picks. The first one is Heroku. I spent this uh, weekend, spent about 13 hours dealing with um, making a deployment for a project that I've got, uh, ngdoc.io, which is like the uh, unofficial documentation for uh, Angular. It's just a collection of all of the uh, community blog posts uh, that are out there and videos. So. Uh, I uh, recently updated it so that it had a more traditional deployment rather than just me pushing up code to a Heroku instance whenever I felt like it. It actually has like a dev and a staging and a production instance so that we could do some more, be a little bit more careful about pushing code up now that I've got a fair amount of people using it. So I was just really impressed with Heroku uh, and its ability to support, you know, those sorts of workflows. And so that was, that's my first pick is Heroku. Um, been really, really pleased with working with it with, uh, you know, a GitHub-based project. And my other pick is going to be a new movie on Netflix that just came out, I think, yesterday. Uh, although by the time you listen to it, it will be have been out a week or two, or listen to this, it'll been out a week or two, but it's called El Camino Christmas. And it's sort of a, kind of a funny, 
with a little bit of uh, seriousness uh, movie that is a Netflix original uh, about a hold up in a small town. Uh, just, just a pretty charming show. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun show to watch. So that's it. That's my other pick is El Camino Christmas. Awesome. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Um, the first one is, so I've been kind of reworking a lot of things around the podcasts and, uh, I, some of the big ones, I'm just going to come out with uh, kind of two or three that are kind of big things. The first one is, is that, uh, we now have a forum. So if you go to forum.devchat.tv, you can sign up for an account. Um, you know, as we record this, uh, it's pretty brand new. So not a ton of conversation going on there. Uh, by the time this goes live, it will have been a few weeks. So we'll probably have more conversations going on in there. And we're going to be having discussions about the next thing that I want to announce. And that is, is that uh, as we speak, I'm just about ready to launch the Indiegogos on the React podcast, the Elixir podcast, and the View podcast. So if you're interested in any of those, um, you know, go check the show notes. You'll get links to those. You can also check the forum and get links to them there. And uh, anyway, the the idea is essentially to raise enough money to produce about six months worth of the podcast. Um, and then the podcasts are usually supported by sponsorship. So that gives me time to um, see how large the audiences get and stuff like that. And then, you know, go find sponsors to support us from then on. Um, and uh, the other thing is, is just to gauge interest, right? To see where people are at and what they're interested in. And if we, if we get a lot of support on Indiegogo, then it makes it a bit easier to just really push it forward for a while. Um, if we get, you know, not as much support then you know, then I can make a decision as to whether or not I think that's going to be worth pursuing further. So, um, we'll definitely see how those go, but, uh, you know, I don't know how interested folks on this show will be in the Elixir show, but the react and the view podcast are things that I'm getting asked about. So, um, I should have those up by this, uh, Friday. I'm hoping to have them up tonight. Um, and then I'll send an announcement to the mailing list and we'll see if we can get some traction there and, uh, start looking for guests and hosts for those shows. So and any interest there is appreciated. You can probably just go on Indiegogo and search for react podcast or view podcast. And, uh, yeah, we'll line that up. Um, we've talked to a lot of folks like Azat. We've also had people from Facebook to come and talk about, uh, uh, react and react related stuff. We've had Evan Yu on the show to talk about the about view. So I'm I'm sure we can line up some really, really terrific guests and we just need your help to get it launched. So yeah, if you can just come and support us there, um, that would be awesome. I'm planning on launching more shows over the course of the next year. Um, but these are the ones that people are asking for. So anyway, um yeah, those are kind of the two big picks. I know they're more about what I'm doing than about, hey, look, there's this cool thing out there, but I do appreciate the help. Um, Azat, what are your picks? So something I learned recently, there is a package manager, it's called PNPM. PNPM, so it's very, so the API, the CLI API is uh, totally compatible with NPM, but it's faster, it's faster than Yarn, it's faster than NPM, even NPM 5, NPM Three and four, they're super slow, but NPM five, it's relatively faster, but PNPM, it's even faster than that. Uh, and 
the way it works, it uh, uses the links. So it doesn't create extra space. So it's great, great when you um, have the space limitation. You don't want all the node modules to be copied. And then um, the next pick, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, if it's okay to advertise a podcast, but Go for I it. just... Uh, uh, thank you. I just uh, recorded and uploaded my uh, my own first podcast. It's not like a real podcast. It's uh, more like an audiobook or just a series of lectures. I call them short lectures. So five-minute chunks uh, that will teach uh, beginners to Node.js about Node.js, non-blocking I.O., NPM. Um, I have 15 episodes, five minutes, so you can listen to them. You don't need to watch. Uh, I also have them on on YouTube and Node University, but you can just subscribe on iTunes and listen, or Stitcher or Google Play. So Node University uh, podcast, that's my blog. All right. Well, if people want to read blog posts, uh, you mentioned your blog, pa- your your podcast. Make sure you uh, mention that link again. Twitter, Facebook, um, GitHub. You know, where, where do people find you these days? Just go to Node University, node.university, and I have all the information. So it's node.university, without the .com, without anything, it's just node.university. Awesome. That's a great domain. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Well, we will wrap this one up. Thanks for coming and talking to us, and we will catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.